All right, everyone, I'm really excited for today's episode. This is session two in our series around how to market, sell, and build profitable opti-channel campaigns. And if you recall from a few episodes back, this is a series that we're doing to help our agency and commercial print community, heck, any marketing services company that wants to learn how to offer opti-channel marketing services to their clients. Now, these are panel discussions where I'm joined by Kevin Thomas, He's the COO at Firespring, and if you missed the first in this series, go back and listen to that. You want to hear that because you'll hear from Mike Robinson at Summit Direct Mail. You'll hear from CC Smith at Toolbox Studios and David McNerney from Think Patented, and you don't want to miss that episode. It was really informative around how you start pointing your organization in this direction and how you need to equip your team to be able to market, sell, and produce these types of campaigns. Now, in today's panel, you're going to hear from Shanna Vollmer from Pixa Creative, Ben Shank from Summit Direct Mail, and Andrew Edinger from The Best Postcards. And this discussion is entirely focused on how they market and sell their print plus digital services. And they all use different approaches, which is really, really interesting. I think you're gonna hear some very intriguing contrast between how Andrew, Ben, and Shanna look at this a little bit differently, yet with some common threads. But I think you're going to learn a lot, especially as you hear Kevin Thomas pull out some things that are very important to the print community. You don't want to miss that. So if you have any questions, I mentioned this in the last episode, drop to the description of this podcast. And there, my team has embedded my cell phone number. So if you have any questions, text me at that number, ask the question, and I'll make sure you get the answers that you're looking for. Or we're also going to embed there in the description a link to the video for this interview. So if you want to see Shanna, if you want to see Ben, if you want to see Andrew, Kevin, and the rest of the panel, Make sure to go to that link and check it out. All right. Without any further ado, let's jump right into the discussion. Kevin, thank you for allowing us to do this conversation out in public with the community. Welcome to the panel. And take a moment to say hello to everyone here today. Well, thank you, David. And I'm, I'm excited to learn more today. I learned a ton on our first session. So really, I want to thank the other panelists in advance for me being able to steal all of your trade secrets and uh, put them into good use. <laughs> well, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that. Let me introduce the, the panel now. Turn your attention to the screen. I want you to uh, see these folks, and then I'm going to bring them on and have them briefly say hello before we get into Kevin's questions here. So Ben Shank, who you see here on the screen, is National Sales at Summit Direct Mail. Now, if you were with us in that first session, you might remember that Mike Robinson, uh, who we identified as the champion, if you will, that's a very important concept that I need you to know if you're wondering how to do this successfully. Go back and uh, catch that first episode if you missed it. But he partners very closely with Mike Robinson inside of Summit to offer opti-channel services, opti-channel campaigns to their clients. And so Ben is very focused along with Mike Robinson and John Barber and 200 other incredible people there at Summit uh, in providing an, a really incredible set of services to their clients. They've grown uh, very rapidly to over 50 million in revenue. Uh, Ben's background is in print logistics. He started in print logistics uh, in 1995. In 1998, he started working with John Barber and uh, actually prospected into and then sold into seven of the largest credit card issuers in the country. And since then, his career has skyrocketed. I've seen him do amazing work in a number of verticals, financial services, nonprofit, and uh, many, many more. Ben, I'm honored to be able to call you a friend, but even more uh, grateful that you've joined the community today to share your insights with us. Are you ready, my man? 
Oh, I am ready. Absolutely. Everybody, I'm looking forward to visiting with you today. It's definitely been an exciting ride with Dave. I've been working with him ever since I joined Summit. That was my first introduction to him. More than anything, OptiChannel is a big center at our company. He mentioned Mike Robinson, who's our product owner, which is really important to our company as we use OptiChannel. And uh, I'm kind of like uh, everyone else here. I'm excited to learn and share, collaborate, because OptiChannel has just definitely been a big part of what I do with every single client in some capacity. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate you being here, and I can't wait to get into your responses here in a moment. Uh, folks, if you look at the screen, Shanna is the second panelist today. She's vice president at Pixa Creative. I've known Shanna probably 13, 14 years now, maybe since around 2008, 2009. At that time, she started and ran a company called Seven Bridges Marketing based in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they specialized in working with PSPs and MSPs across the United States for a number of years. Earlier this year, however, she merged her company with Pixa, run by another friend, Ted Raymond. Some of you may know Ted. And so Seven Bridges and, Pixa and uh, Ted's company merged, and they are now known as Pixa. And so they have been working uh, to provide an amazing set of services to their clients. They kind of lead as an agency, but use print heavily in order to meet the needs and demands of their clients. I know they have a vertical focus in education, healthcare, financial. They work with many printers as well. And so, Shanna, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for not only giving your help to Kevin, but also being willing to uh, be vulnerable and give us these answers in public. How are you this morning? Good. Hello, everyone. Excited to be here. Always excited to be part of the Mindfire team and any education. So, Kevin, I think this is awesome what you're doing here and some of the questions. And hopefully you can learn from some of our mistakes because I've made quite a few, so. <laughs> good for you. That's good to admit. And I'm, I'm sure that's always helpful to everyone. Last and certainly not least is Andrew Edinger, who is the CEO of The Best Postcards. They specialize in meeting the needs of home services companies. So these are HVAC, electrical, plumbing, roofing, doors, windows, you name it, servicing over 700 clients in the United States, rapidly growing print company. What's interesting about Andrew is Last month or the month before, he and his wife actually moved to Costa Rica. So he's running his rapidly growing organization from Costa Rica. Um, and things are going very, very well for them. It hasn't always been that way. Andrew's got an interesting story. When he was in his mid-20s, he was a senior vice president at Morgan Stanley, had $100 million under management. And I know Andrew's story. He tells me, look, I thought I was a genius. Um, I fell into a gluttonous lifestyle, too much partying, too many drugs, too many mistakes. And when 2008 came, his world fell apart. And so in a span of a few months, he went from being a millionaire um, and to being homeless, essentially. Couch surfing, trying to piece his life back together. But thankfully, since that time, he's reinvented himself, rediscovered his passions, started the best postcards with an amazing team. How he did that is a story for another day. But Drew, I want to thank you uh, for joining us from Costa Rica. How are you? Yeah. There you go. I am excellent. I appreciate being invited to this panel. And like Kevin said, I'm here to share anything that anybody wants to know because it's a, it's a small, tight-knit industry. And I really don't believe that we're, there, we're competitors. We need to look out for each other. There's just yep. too much work out there. I've, I really don't remember ever going up against any of the big companies and quotes or anything like that. So anything that I can add or help or anything that's worked for me that I can share, I'm happy to. It's not proprietary. People get it in the mail. So 
whatever we can do. Wonderful. And I saw your note there in 2001 is when everything fell apart. So forgive me. Thank you for that clarification. Uh, let me do a quick reminder here, folks, that this is session two. If you missed session one, that was the first session where we started talking about how organizations take their first step into OptiChannel. If you missed that, drop your email in the chat, Zoom, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you're seeing this, and my team will go back after this session and get your email out and we'll send you the link to that first session if you missed it, okay? We had a great panel, Mike Robinson uh, from Summit, uh, CC Smith, Toolbox Studios, David McNerney from Think Patented. And so if you want that, drop your email address there into the chat. We'll get that over to you. Today is the second in this series. And then there is a third coming up around the corner that we'll tell you about here in just a second. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, try to shut up here. What we're going to do now is I'm going to uh, address the first question actually over to you, Kevin, uh, because in our session roughly, what, two, two weeks ago, we covered a lot of ground around how to get started, uh, how commercial printers start this process. And now that it's been two weeks, you've had plenty of time to put this into action. <laughs> and so I'm curious, two things. Uh, what stood out to you from that first session? And second, what changes have you made in your organization? Yeah, there, there was, you know, many takeaways, but I think if I boil it down to a couple that really stood out to me, one, as you mentioned earlier in the conversation, having essentially a champion within the organization as opposed to 10 quarter champions that, that are kind of just one foot in. So that's something that I've already begun working on, figuring out exactly if that person exists within our organization, or if I'm going to go out and try and hire someone to really bootstrap some of these things. And then secondarily, I think the, uh, which is what's going to lead into today a little bit, uh, I was excited when CC mentioned that pricing in particular um, isn't, it, this is not a commodity race or a race to the bottom, or it doesn't have to be. It's really more of a value-based consultative sales process in which our company is pretty good at doing those things. So I felt confident that we're going to be able to make that transition there. So the immediate steps that I've taken, as I mentioned, we, we use a, uh, entrepreneurial organizational system called Traction. And um, so this quarter I have some rocks around OptiChannel marketing and to really essentially create the business plan. And so that I'm ready in 2022 to roll it out and go. Awesome. So today's discussion is focused specifically on marketing and selling. And before you start digging into your questions, I'm just curious so that everybody has kind of an idea of where you stand right now. How are you marketing and selling these services right now? And are there any specific challenges that are kind of bubbling up to the surface as you've tried to do that? Hmm. Well, the, the short answer is we're not doing it very well uh, right now. So that we're primarily traditional print salespeople who are good at selling direct mail, but are not very good at understanding the campaign aspects and how to uh, really create a full drip and how to tie direct mail to other channels. On the other side of it, we have people who are good at selling digital, but have no clue about traditional or direct mail. So we've been really almost two separate efforts that are competing with one another. We're using disparate technologies. We're using Emma a lot for email marketing for our clients. Then um, we use Fusion Pro and some different things for the direct mail on even on the VDP side. But recently we've started to partner with MindFire to roll out our own campaigns using Omnichannel, and we, we're seeing good success there. So 
that is has been at least to open the eyes of other decision makers in our company of the importance of making the shift. We've tripped over ourselves uh, a number of times. And again, I think a lot of it looking back was not having a person to grab this, uh, become the subject matter expert and own it end to end. Uh, so Kevin, let me turn over the first question to you, then go ahead and tee that up to the panel. I think we're going to go Andrew, Ben and Shanna in that order. So Kevin, take it away. Great. Thank you. Let's just kind of take, pull it way back here. Help me first by taking, taking me through how you've identified your target markets. In your experience, which verticals are the best for opti-channel marketing? Which ones have you found you should avoid? Or is that the way you really got rolling in this, is picking a couple verticals? It's interesting and it's definitely evolved. We decided from the beginning that we weren't going to go the route of advertising digitally for direct mail sales and that outbound calls were not going to make the relationships that we needed. So we, we kind of found the publications, the Bibles to each industry that we liked, the HVAC companies, the home improvement companies, high ticket item people who have to advertise consistency. And we paid to have their that publication, their Bible, polybagged every single month with our eight and a half by 11 as an outsert, explaining what our model is, explaining that we're not a direct mail company, we're a consulting company, explaining the data and the analytics that are involved and the, the matchback reporting and the level of transparency and explaining that we're more the top of the funnel that helps the bottom of the funnel at the end. and. We basically laid down the groundwork for who is our client and who is not our client. So when we're speaking to somebody, about 80% of the clients who, and who call, who, and it's all inbound traffic, are already qualified to what we're offering and are already committing to long-term trial processes as we don't put anybody on contract. And we have a long sales process uh, as opposed to the short sales process. Really getting highly involved with the client. As you said, it's not about money. We'll spend an hour finding out everything about their business, their capacities, their incomes, their advertising spend, what layers you're using, what layers you're not using, whether they're being efficient. And that's all just to set up a second phone call where we take their data and we provide them with analytics like 3D heat maps and who your typical client is. And by the time we're done showing them their clients and their existing clients and the radius mailers and the thank you cards, the conversation kind of ends with, can you send me a proposal? It yep. doesn't, pricing never comes up because we've already differentiated ourselves because we want you to be with us, but we don't want to chase someone down. We don't want to care more about their business than they do. So, Andrew, we're, we're, let me jump in real quick right there, folks, for everybody who's wondering if what Andrew's saying is actually true. It is. I have had the honor. Andrew invited me on a couple of his sales calls, and I know we're jumping a little ahead into the sales process here. But in fact, what he says, I heard on every single one of the calls as they go through this process, Kevin, of not only selecting the market, picking the Bibles in the industry as a way to market to that segment and then taking them through the sales process that Andrew started to touch on. At the end of that call, at the end of that first call, 
they're asking for the next step. Andrew, I'll come back to you in a second. Ben, what about you? How did you pick your markets? What insight do you have for Kevin on that? When I got started at Summit, actually, you could only compete on your your price when you're you know, a direct mail company and your printer. And so I immediately had to find ways to, how do I beat price? And I had to find how I take the current customer base that Summit Direct Mail had and then start expanding on that and finding clients very similar to what we already had. And we started to prove out success on OptiChannel back then. And our, our categories were already heavily involved in were financial services. They were nonprofit. They were home services. And so what that gave me opportunity to learn about it. But the things that I can share that I since learned is as opportunities come with financial services, you're often selling items that have a very high price point to engage somebody to sign up for a refinance on their home. Or if they're getting an auto warranty, it's a very expensive product. So back to what was mentioned earlier is you have to have an item that has enough money in it. And so there's has to be somebody that can afford a budget in their customer acquisition. And I often throw out numbers like if people talk to me and they say, I want to do a direct mail campaign. I'm like, well, have you got $100 to acquire a customer? If you want to do a solo mail campaign. So I do a lot of customer acquisition. And the areas that have always challenged me a little bit, I do see in the nonprofit sectors that you're very challenged in the nonprofit sector with people who are very protective of their donors and possible donors. They're very afraid that they're going to alienate them through multi-channels. And I'm sure you'll hear, hear different arguments over time but it's always an area that I've always had to tread very lightly with any customers in this segment. Very conservative base of folks work in that space and they are very protective. So anything you do, you typically want to do very slowly with those guys and not make big changes and introduce them. But that's where I've typically used it and how I've integrated it with our client mix over the years here. Channel, what about you? How did you go about identifying the right verticals to work with and what insights would you have for Kevin around how they could do the same? Sure. Well, I'm a little bit unique that one of my top verticals is people like you guys, PSPs and MSPs, where we help them self-promote themselves or work with them with their clients, which has given me a lot of experience in a lot of different industries. But what we found, education has been a great one. Casino and gaming, nonprofits, as mentioned, manufacturing has been a good one. And then a lot of business services. And like Andrew and Ben have said, it's that higher ticket item is where you'll have most success in offering the omni-channel and people that are that care about the results, that care about their data and they want to improve their data, we find have been the, the best clients and the best verticals to go after. So that's been the success for us so far. I'm seeing a lot of good chatter coming in here in Zoom, LinkedIn, Facebook. In fact, one of the most common things is, wow, Dave, you look really good today. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. I guess I don't usually look this good or that is what I'm seeing. So thank you, John Miglosh, my friend. You always look good. Thank you for inspiring me to do the same. Kevin, let's go ahead and move into the next question then. And I think you want to dive into a little bit more detail around what's actually working for them in marketing. Is that what you want to know? Yeah, just, I mean, the Drew leaned in a little already to this answer, but what type of self-marketing are you doing to promote this? Can, just talk to me about your top two or three strategies to, to start to get people on the line. So I actually started doing omnipresent marketing for myself more to make me an authority in the field so that when I do speak to people, I have uh, a legitimacy behind me. So that's really opened up a lot of doors for us. But networking is getting inside of groups. I, I don't do big shows. I don't do shows where there are 5,000 other vendors or anything like that. But tight-knit groups of in the industries I work in, they exist. And that and the print advertising that I do every month in these same magazines, no matter what the vertical it is, along with 
the my social presence is it really it, it brings everything to me. We don't make one outbound. We close twenty accounts a month. We don't make one, and and our average account spends ten to twenty thousand dollars per month, and runs every month for the entire year, not on contract. So it works. Amazing, Ben. What do you do? What does Summit do? Well, I'm kind of old school, and Dave, you've met me, and I've been yep. the, the the slowest person to change to doing more Zoom, doing more webinars, and things that I love that you, what you're doing, Dave. But I'm a guy who really has always built his foundation on a lot of cold calling. I really just absolute cold calls, whether it be for mail pieces I see, exploring opportunities, and really doing the bug them till they buy. That's how that's how I promoted our different touch points, looking for those opportunities, oftentimes using my subject matter expertise that I've already gained over the years in those client bases. Summit, I'm very fortunate in the aspect is that we definitely integrate into some vertical markets like using trade shows where we go there we deep day i know you've been with me a couple of trade shows where people would say why is ben here at this trade show i know we had that conversation about one time about one trade show i went to yeah and i booked enough business to pay for the show because it was kind of a left field opportunity where people are going why is a direct mail guy at a show that uh, has more e-commerce than it does people who are coming from a bricks and mortar, you know, mentality or, or retail or financial services or even nonprofit. So those are the things that I've typically done. And then of course, we're trying to grow our, our, our presence out there online, just like everyone else is right now. So Ben, real quick to follow up on that, two things I just wanna make sure everyone hears and for Kevin, you as well, what I observed in joining you at those trade shows is those were largely digital exhibitors, right? Most of the exhibitors were digital companies, some form of digital marketing. Absolutely. And you were the only direct mail focused organization there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a little bit harder sale and it takes a little more time, a little more patience, but you're meeting with people who already spend millions of dollars in the digital space as if it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. spending $10. You talk to a guy and he spends $10 million a month on digital ads going, I thought about doing direct mail. You're going, hey, let me help you. And then you that you have that natural conversation of how do you marry the elements that they're already doing well with what you're doing? And there's a huge opportunity in that area to do that. And you've got a lot of guys who really grew up on the internet and don't know a thing about you know traditional print and direct mail marketing. And so I love putting myself in those places, actually. Kevin, what's cool about this is I think you're hearing a variety of perspectives. Ben saying cold calling, Drew saying you know, it's all inbound. Ben, I'm going to ping you back on one more thing. I'd love for you to kind of talk about briefly, and then we'll go to Shanna. So Ben, you heard uh, Drew kind of talk about how he has positioned himself out in the industry kind of as a thought leader, videos, posts, things like that. What's been your historical view of that? If you could just share, I think you know where I'm going with this oh, because I know of our conversations. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, honestly, I, I was highly critical early on of a lot of folks in the space. And I said, everybody's out here just wasting their time online. They're out here doing promoting information that is may or may not be helpful to people, things of that nature. And I think what I've learned is just like everything else, I can remember going to a PCC meeting a few years ago, Postal Customer Council is what that stands for. And you'd go there and I went to one and there was over a hundred people in a room. And I thought, this is amazing. All these people here. And they were there to gain valuable content and information and now my transformation has now changed to is you this is very powerful what we're doing in these settings such as this right here or as they build out vertical markets for groups and and put together useful information people that the information is going to drive those people now it's just driving it virtually much in the same way the pcc did and provided that content 
and a great comparison I could give, I can remember going to a session of our local direct marketing association, which is now folded much like the national DMA association. And I went to that local session and there was a dozen people there and we were all trying to sell each other print and no one, <laughs> no one could understand that we were supposed to be presenting information and content. And that's how we were going to engage buyers. And if we weren't doing case studies and sharing content and success stories, we weren't going to get there. And so that's my experience. My experience is today. Dave was right is what I'm going to say. (laughs) (laughs) And the way he's uh, used social media, even to engage people that he didn't know in his space. And I think we're all headed in that direction, but I'll always be cold calling because I love it. So you're not going to stop me from that one, but I'm going to use that social media. Attaboy. Keep it going. Shanna, what are your top two to two to three strategies that you employ from a marketing perspective that you'd like to share with Kevin? Yeah, I think over the years, there's been three areas. Uh, for me, I'm a firm believer is you've got to drink, for lack of better words, drink your own Kool-Aid, eat your own dog food. And through doing that, you strike the conversations because they you can make it very enjoyable and different how uh, you're approaching them. So do it for yourself and do it well. Learn from that. And that's gotten us a lot of leads in the past. Associations, networking, Ben and uh, Andrew mentioned, that's been huge. Word of mouth and just being part of the different associations of the target markets and verticals that we work with has just, you know, been great for us. And then even hosting our own events, doing really fun, entertaining, but educational events to really position us as the credible marketer. And those spaces uh, have been the three big areas that have brought me all my clients and leads. Kevin, you have an incredible facility there, which I've had the opportunity to see. I think that would be, and I think you already do, lunch and learns and things like that. Uh, But I think that's a big opportunity for you. Before we move on to my next question for the panel, Kevin, do you want to follow up on anything anyone said there? Yeah, no, that that was really helpful. I just got to try and figure out how to do all of it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Panel, in our last session, Cece Smith from Toolbox Studios, I mentioned her a second ago. She said something that was that really stood out. I know it stood out to Kevin and it stood out to me as well. She said that many printers make the mistake of targeting the print buyer when trying to sell opti-channel campaigns. And she virtually said that's the kiss of death. So I'm curious. Let's go Ben, Andrew, and then Shanna. We'll start with you, Ben. Do you agree with her? And if so, who are you typically selling to? Yes. So I would say I tend to agree with her. I have oftentimes, I guess, failed miserably with the traditional print buyer. With direct mail, you it's always like that race to the bottom we always talk about from a pricing perspective. So typically someone who's been hired with the mentality of being a buyer is only looking at the cost of your goods. Our biggest successes are usually people have a little bit bigger picture of it and they're looking to understand is what's the value I'm going to bring them and is that value is it more customer conversions is it a higher ROI on their campaign. So oftentimes I, m- my biggest successes are they are with the CEO, they are with the director of marketing, the chief marketing officer. It's a person who has some power to integrate the digital channel with the direct mail channel oftentimes whereas my biggest struggle for me when someone's sole job function is just to work in commodity purchasing, uh, usually a big challenge for us. There's always those opportunities out there and we do some work in those spaces and I'm never going to say, no, we're not going to look at it or we're not going to try it because there's sometimes fit for your company also that you're very competitive on for whatever reasons you've got a competitive advantage using traditional. But I think that as you migrate towards more multi-channel market that becomes more and more important for the growth of, of your customers and your company is be looking at those multiple channels as a part of it. So you've got to have somebody who can get beyond that. 
So. Now, Drew, I think for you in your organizations, you're typically dealing with the business owner or the business leader. There isn't per se a print buyer in those organizations, or is there? What's kind of your view on this question? No, no, there aren't print buyers. We are dealing with the individuals, but we get approached with RFPs and RFQs and all that, and we don't even look at them. It's got to be all about relationship. I don't want to have to sell somebody twice. I want to be able to prove myself out and then and have them become a part of the family, be part of, be part of our ecosystem, and and then go on to the next client while giving this one the best customer service. So we're not a one-off printing company. Like Ben said, there are certain things I'm not going to ignore. If somebody wants a, a million pieces, uh, like I'm going to look at it. But besides that, unless you're, in, unless you fit our model, we're not. We don't want you as a client. And I hate to be blunt about it, but we'll let you down, and you'll let us down, and let's just save each other the the hassle. And Drew, not to uh, humble brag for you, but that approach is growing you. 15, 20% month over month. Is that true? Yeah. And one thing back to what Kevin had uh, originally talked about, I'll tell you the, the thing that started my business is LinkedIn actually. And it was making a couple contacts and then within a franchise group, that's one of the largest health industries groups in the country, thousands of clubs. And it was just by taking two contacts and then looking at their mutual friends and then sending an email to their mutual friends with the two contacts name in the, in the uh, subject line. And by the time I had 10 of them, mm. it was easy to get the other 120 of them because my list was growing and growing and growing. So that was really a good situation for us. What was the other part, I, Dave? Yeah, you know, the approach, which I see resonating with some here in the audience of saying, hey, if you, if you fit our model, great. If not, we're not the best for you is resulting in 15 to 20% month over month growth. And I just wanted to yeah, verify that's so, in fact true. And the thing is I ended up because of the COVID we, for a period of time, we weren't able to service that account and we really had to start over. And I mean, I would say 14 months ago, we might've been doing 500,000 pieces and today we might be doing 15 million pieces a month. So every yeah. month over month we are growing. Jana, what about you in terms of how CC positioned uh, this process? And I think you have a unique view, both in terms of selling it yourself, as well as helping print service providers do their own marketing. So how do you view this idea of not selling to the print buyer? Yeah, well, I 100% agree with CC. If you're having the conversation with the uh, print buyer, you are at the conversation at the table way too late. And you really need to be working with people that have the vision, that are creating the campaign, and really care about the return. And it's really fun to watch, especially working with PSPs, print print reps that have been selling and been very successful for years and years. It's a totally different conversation. And yep. mind for you guys have done a great job on helping what are those questions and things like that and identifying uh, things that matter. And it's really fun to watch the print reps and even some that have been in the industry for 25 plus years go in and have this conversation. And I tell them the worst case, because it's a different questioning, worst case, you're going to walk away with that consolation prize of here, you can have my print, but you're not being beat up on print specs and price and things like that. Because you're really talking about what are their objectives, what do they hope to accomplish, what have they been doing that's been successful. Having those conversations about that acquisition cost, the lifetime value of their customer and data conversations. And it's not about 
print. It's not about direct mail. Yeah, 100% agree with her. You've got to get to the ones that are creating the campaigns. Kevin, go ahead and fire away your next question. Sure. Thank you. So let's just assume that I get uh, FireSpring's marketing dialed in and we're generating um, plenty of leads. And now I need to activate our sales team to go out and, and meet with these prospects. What is the best way to educate and empower a print-centric sales team as we transition into OptiChannel marketing? Or I guess the follow-up to that would be, is that crazy? Uh, should, should this be someone who is outside of the print world today doesn't necess isn't necessarily leading with that as their background. Jana, let's start with you. What do you think? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the number one thing you need to focus on for print centric uh, reps, in my opinion, is definitely making sure that you get them the right training on questioning skills. Discovery is huge. Discovery has been the one thing that we've always focused on. And I think what sets us apart time in the discovery really getting to know that what's given them success, where their failures have been, and not only getting to know them and what they think they're good at to their customers and what they bring to the table, we even go a step further and get to know um, their customer and how they view them. And it's really interesting to see how sometimes there's a gap between those two and how their message is really not resonating with their customers. So I think getting your team, the training such as solutions-based sales training, questioning skills, things of that nature. So, and you bring up a good point and I, I've seen it both. I've seen where some organizations, the ones that have been selling the print can flip and be very successful. And then I've seen some that they've just really struggled and they've had to bring in some new reps to kind of back those print reps up that are experts in kind of that different sales. Ben, I'm going to go to you next because I know you so well, you crush it. So I think there's two angles here. One is what do you think is different about you and your ability to sell OptiChannel uh, along with print? That's the first part of the question. And then the other part is I know you've seen other sales executives in Summit who haven't been able to do it. And maybe you can contrast those two aspects to give Kevin a little insight. What are your thoughts? I think that I was fortunate enough when I first came on to Summit that you, you met my coworker, you talk about him, Mike, and our owner, John, and very forward-thinking individuals. And they hand-delivered me. I hadn't been there 24 months. They hand-delivered me a case study that uh, it may be dumb luck. Who knows? But and it was something we had a partnership with you guys on. It was original kind of my introduction to OptiChannel. I'm a male sales guy. I've sold with John before, and I've kind of reconnected with John. And I get this powerful case study. And it worked. And once we told people it worked, then people, they believed us. And then, then I took that knowledge base and I took it out to every single vertical market that I could find connected to that type of business that we were doing. And as I did that, obviously I found that there's this hunger for information. You learn that like, oh, wait a minute, we've never tried that. Wait a minute, tell me about that. And it's connected to my business. So it does impact me. If you're talking to that right person, we've already identified the business owner, the chief marketing officer, but then we'll talk about where we've seen people who haven't connected with it. Yeah, absolutely. Some people are very comfortable uh, working in that print centric world that, that, and that is for some people. And I want to say there is always a room for lots of farmers. I believe in farmers. Absolutely. There's hunters and farmers. I always believe there's two types of salespeople. And I do think that this type of information has got to be hunted and pushed a little bit out here to people who could possibly need to know that information about how you can use those channels as you help focus in. That's my experience there. Andrew, how would you reply to this? Have you had to empower a traditionally print 
centric sales team there at the best postcards or did you hire a different kind of sales executive well we only do print we had print direct mail because not because we don't believe in layers but we believe in if we can do one thing great i'd rather do one thing great than, than do two things good and and maybe hurt my clients but i'm sure since there are a lot of print people in here we've always felt a little uh, intimidated by the digital world because we feel like they're always getting credit for everything and we're being told call tracking. And so we set out on an experiment where we did a holdout test on a million pieces of mail and we held out 10% of the mail and it was a short event. And at the end of the event, we were to match back. Anybody who wasn't on the holdout list or the regular list went by the wayside and then we were able to match back the people who are on the holdout list and the people who are on the mailed list and then just take that percentage and multiply it times the control and these are people who did not think that direct mail worked and the 47 percent net lift but we also sent down the reverse that when we took an area and we added a digital layer to when we had an outside company you know, add a digital layer to it that, and we were able to break it up either by carrier routes or by homes or whatever, that the areas that received both outperformed the areas that received one. So we just try and get away from who gets credit. Like it doesn't matter who gets credit. They, it's all together. It's the layers that, that make the lift. And that's been our toughest fight as a direct mail for 20 years is trying to get credit. And our, I think our change in attitude of gives a shit is, has really played out well. Sure. Kevin, before I go to my next question here, you want to follow up on anything that anybody said there? Not necessarily. I think that my, prior to those answers, I think my lean in was going to be at least the first step was to, again, get this champion and really hope that person would be a company or existing sales team in the room so that bring the subject matter expert in for these conversations until our sales team is able to speak this language with clients. Ben, I'm going to go back one point deeper here because I have a little extra context on something that I think might be helpful to Kevin. Do you remember our no cap discussion over dinner a few weeks back in terms of how ownership has set up a no cap on commission structures that you and uh, Joe, who, who was also there at dinner with us, really felt kind of was the fuel in contrast to what other organizations do. Would you mind sharing that with Kevin and, and the community? Yeah, absolutely. Be glad to share it. So essentially, and, and if I'm in the wrong direction on this, I, I do remember vaguely our discussion here. But the reality is everyone at Summit Direct Mail as a salesperson is an entrepreneur. If you're not, you're at the wrong place. And so our sales team is made entirely of entrepreneurs. So we all wake up every day as if we own our own business build our own customers that way. And therefore our owners typically compensate us in that fashion as if you're an entrepreneur who can grow their own business and as opposed to being put into a box. And because of that, we do have a thirst for engaging new channels also. That is a big part of this is that because if I can convert better customers, have more ways to make us profitable as a company, then that creates new opportunities for our management team as well. Yes, you have to have an entrepreneur environment, basically. That's, and that's I remember specifically you and Joe were telling me that some of the uh, other organizations out there place a cap on commissions, and you were giving me your view on that. Tell everyone a little bit about that. 
And I just think that it, it becomes this defeatist attitude of like, only work so hard and then we're stopping you. And I always say to myself is that I had worked, you know, at some previous employers where they, they believed that that there should be a limit on what you could make. And I think when you work in that kind of environment that you're, you're could be stunting your own growth as a, a man, manager of a company. You're telling your people you don't want them to make more money, but if they're an entrepreneur themselves, they're thinking, well, I want to find ways to help this company grow. If I can find a way to make it more profitable, then that should be part of my compensation. So yes, I'm, I'm typically think that ownership can oftentimes gets that wrong, thinking that sales is an expense as opposed to a way that they're going to grow. So. Absolutely. Kevin, I'm going to ask my next question here to Andrew, Ben and Shanna in that order, uh, because there's something that I hear often from our community that service providers, folks like uh, those here in the room and the agencies that are here with us, something that comes up often, and that is specifically that their prospect or their client doesn't have a list that they can market to, or the data that the client has is bad. And so starting with you, Andrew, how do you think about how you help your clients target likely prospects? What do you do to help your clients in that scenario? I touched on it before, but you know, it's, it's an all value added proposition where we're going to find out who your clients, who your existing clients are. We're going to append the information to it. And then we're going to plot your clients out for you. And then you can either do it, find your prospects in a radius of a location, or if there's a certain area, we can find your avatar, which is, well, I guess what it's referred to in any location that you're looking to grow in. Ben hit on something earlier about finding that, that client that's going to the repeat business and or the large ticket item. And those are the two things that we look for. People who can consistently need either a larger ticket item or are reliant on repeat business. And when you get someone with repeat business, you need to mail to your customers every month. We tend to forget that if we can keep the data right and update the list and remove the prospects and dedupe and hit the clients in the right way. 75% of your business in the industries I deal with come from your existing clients. They have to be hit in a different way, not in a sales approach way. Educating and content, never self-promoting. And just knowing that it costs five times more to acquire a client than it does to keep a client. Sure. So yep. that's ben, it. Ben, what about, what about yeah, in your experience how do you help clients identify who to target i hear andrew saying look we help and coach our clients around investing more in customer marketing but what's been your experience so one of my first thoughts is, is probably going to shock the first thing that jumps to mind is that i would rather see my clients market less people and spend more per piece to get higher conversions. So, and that's a very hard thing for a lot of folks to wrap their arms around and say, they want, I want to mail 10,000 people because I think I'm going to get a 1% response. And no, I'd rather see you mail a thousand, get a 5% response because somehow magically you forget about what it cost to mail a thousand pieces. <laughs> All of a sudden it became real, especially when 90% of your budget spent on postage anyway. And you're going, you know, that's something we can't get back the postage. So, but as far as helping them hone in those data models, yes, we start, we look at who their clients already are. We can do a lookalike model. So we can actually say, look, we could build a model for you, work with one of our data partners. We don't typically broker data. We, we bring in really good data partners. I've got a 
uh, a bunch on speed dial that I'll readily kick to that I say, hey, this is the data side of it. I want to be a champion for my customer on the data side is what I do. And I want them to, to learn s- simple things like for years, I've seen clients that they're mailing 100,000 pieces, for example, and they'll say, and I'll say, they'll say the response rate was half a percent. And I say, okay, where'd you get the data from? And they name off just one company. And I said, yeah, but what are the sources of the data in those 100,000 records? They didn't just come from one source. They may have been one company that you bought them from. What are their sources and where are they building their names? And that's a very simple concept. I try and share with my customers so that they understand to the best way to start honing in those data sets when they're refining them. So you start with who they're marketing to, and then you start testing in new sources based on what their clients already look like. Jana, what about you? How do you help your clients figure out who to market to? Data, I love this conversation. And we all know it's garbage in, garbage out. And I always tell printers, especially, it's kind of like back in the day, we own their plates and neg- negatives. So here it's like to help them with their data, um, really become that partner. So like to Ben's point, really having them take a look and they got to start somewhere. So be that person that holds their hand, walks them through the process, do those lookalikes or business profiles to see what, where have they been successful and what are the attributes of those customers so that you can go find people like them. And if you really work and hold their hand and it's not an easy job, I honestly, the data is the hardest part, but if you don't have good data, your campaign is going to fail miserably and we all lose. So you lose the client, they lose their faith in the, the whole opti-channel marketing. So either I've been pointed out, get some on speed dial, some data sources. And I've worked with a lot of bad data companies and I've worked with a lot of good ones. So find those partners that are going to help you with that data and understand where data comes from and the different sources. I think that's, uh, it took me a while to get there. And had I spent a little bit more time in the beginning, understanding the data, I would have gotten there faster. So something to really focus on. I know you've got two really important questions here. Go ahead, take the next question. Yeah, perfect. Ben, I think Ben already started answering part of this next uh, question, but so kind of going the other approach when we're meeting with clients or that historically have only leaned on email marketing or have evolved to that, what's the approach to converting them to direct mail plus email? Often I hear direct mail is just so much more expensive. You mentioned it once you layer the postage into it, they're, they're seeing that compared to the one cent an email or whatever they're used to um, sending and they choke on it a little bit. So how do you combat that? And then secondarily, is there a budget split that you suggest with digital and traditional for these types of campaigns? Jana, let's start with you. Yeah, so you bring a point. Direct mail is more expensive when you add all those things in, but obviously you're at the table having a conversation uh, and you have to look at what results are they getting with just their email campaign. Uh, if they're happy with that, then so be it. But generally they're not, they need more. And so if you've had the right conversations about the cost of acquisition, the lifetime value of the customer, you've got to understand that value to them. When you start doing the numbers, direct mail is not that expensive. And really all the mediums say they all have a place. And I think you've got to really understand the customers where their customers live. And that's really gets into the, the budget split on where they're going to spend their money. And the great thing about the Opti channel is when you start really bringing in the email, the social media, the direct mail, all the digital marketing that's going on that you can quickly in real time see the results. And that's where you can always make that adjustment and, and change of where that budget's um, gonna go. So uh, I think you have to have the hard conversation. Are you happy with results? If not, we need to bring in some of these other ways to communicate. And we all know it takes about on average eight to 12 touches 
uh, and you've got to basically be where your customers are. And in this day and age, it's right here. Everyone's connected to their phone. And so you've got to make them understand they've got you to be top of mind. They've got to show up in all these different places as people are doing their own research in advance and deciding what customers are going to work with. So. Ben, how do you navigate this? I, I got to hear a little bit of it when I was with you at that trade show, the one we mentioned earlier where there were mostly digital folks. But how do you deal with that objection? Folks say, oh, my gosh, direct mail is just so much more expensive than these glorious digital channels. What's your thought? Yeah, so I've been fortunate enough to work with folks who you meet and you say they came from a digital world and you say to them, have you ever thought about mailing? I say, how many records you got? These digital guys have millions and millions of records. And I say, have you ever thought about mailing any of those records and they say no that's interesting they're already hitting them with email every day and then she just talked about the eight to 12 touches and obviously you don't know what that line every customer is going to be a little differently which touches work the best is it do they need to get some sort of text engagement do they need to email do they need to display ad you don't know which what those are you got to test for every client but as far as converting somebody who's historically come from a digital world and you're saying they're used to doing emails to me it's always an easy test is saying let's test an email campaign against a direct mail campaign Let's use the same data set and see if we can beat that response. Again, it's test. And then you mentioned, Kevin mentioned something earlier as far as regarding, we're talking about budget split. So I, I completely don't approach it that way. I'm more so approach it. And I know Mike Robinson pitched this the other day and said, hey, we're about test, test. Budget split becomes something, that's a longer term plan to me, a budget split. I don't go approach it with a budget split. I more so approach it and say, let's test it and see, do we have a chance at ROIing this? If we have a chance at ROIing it, we're going to refine that budget long-term. Maybe in the early stages, you do have a test budget, but usually the testing budget is not what's going to break us. It's does it fit our budget long-term for the ROI. What about you, Drew? How do you handle this? When folks say direct mail is just so much more expensive in the face of a digital channel or email. It's not more expensive. It's a, it's got a better ROI than, than all of them. And it's also the layer that, offers credence to the bottom of the funnel. It, that's your first date. That's your introduction to the consumer or to the business owner, where you're putting your best foot forward at the beginning, and that's going to make you memorable. I don't know too many brands that became memorable just just on digital, although I, I, I strongly believe in thirds. I'd like to see my clients give me a third of the direct, the direct mail, a third into, I'm a big fan of, of radio, and then the third into their social media, pay-per-click, but it's not more expensive. And actually you shared an article with me and I shared what it just back with you that there was a big study that was just done and it actually says direct mail outperforms four to one. Yep. So it, it doesn't, the price point doesn't matter. It matters how much you spend and what kind of returns you get. Kevin, do you have any uh, follow-ups on those uh, on uh, that before I, I get to your last? Yeah, go ahead. Music to my ears, I, I think that it's the difference between talking about their investment versus a budget, really, and uh, better understanding how we can deliver the value we can add for their investment in their marketing, as opposed to, again, just a budget line item that, that your CFO is going to look at. So this is really helpful. I think that gives me more clarity. So then, David, just jump into the last question here. Are we ready? Yeah, let's do this last okay. one, folks. This is a really important question, and I'm sure there's going to be commentary from the audience here. So let's keep this very interactive. This is a very important question. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, so our, our last session, CeCe Smith from Toolbox Studios 
said that all printers make the mistake of pricing these campaigns like they would a print project, which definitely caught my attention. How do you, I guess, or how I was going to say, how would you, but how are you pricing these programs for your clients? Ben, why don't we start with you? Go ahead, Ben. Uh, yeah. So typically how I operate, obviously starting the direct mail production side. Yes. We always started with the direct mail price, but what I've learned over time is Ultimately, my customers are interested in results that the, the cost of the digital and the multi-touch marketing pales in comparison to the postage cost or the other costs associated with what we're doing. Ultimately, my customers want to know what are they going to spend per piece out the door, that it, which is I do a lot of your total cost per piece is this. And so when I'm having a younger, less mature customers, that's typically how they like to buy. Customers who are more mature will get a different set of rules, obviously, because they've got a lot of, of nuances they're working with within their budgets. But I do as much as I can to create a turnkey package for a lot of folks. What about you, Drew? How do you price it? How do you package up the pricing? All with Ben. We have no upsells. We don't charge for graphics. We don't charge for data and analytics. We'll do your outside work for you as well. So you, so your brand is always consistent. If you're doing billboards or all that, you get designated designers, you get, we don't have, we're not a nine to five business. So we're basically available 24 seven within reason. And that's our value added. And the price of the postcard is kind of like, just, it does, just doesn't come into play. We offer enough value that it doesn't make sense to even look at because we keep 97% of our clients off contract. So if you do that and you add 20 new clients a month, you're going to be okay. How do you guide, how do you guide folks to think about this? I'll, I'll admit this is an area I really struggled at in the beginning, would not charge enough and was afraid that they couldn't justify that, that upsell and those extra expenses because they were so used to spending X for their direct mail. But it's something I learned over time. If you're asking those right questions about their cost of acquisition, the value and things like that, you can really start um, doing the math. And it's like, it just takes like one new client or two new clients to pay for the whole campaign. So where I started selling campaigns way too cheap and learned over time, how much time you put into building them. Whereas a campaign I might've sold for $12,000, including the direct mail many years ago, that same campaign, almost everything I did, we can sell for 50 and a hundred thousand and we're not doing anything different but you know it does take a lot of work and yeah so that's a mistake i think many have have made is they're afraid that to go ask the company or the customer for x amount of more dollars to add all these other features to their direct mail felt like a tough conversation but back to if you understand the customer who you're working with and the value and what's it take to get a customer it's a different conversation and they can justify the extra expense Kevin, go ahead. I'm sure there's something there that you want to dig into. Well, yeah, no, I think that's it's really helpful. I think we have a small, I would say, boutique agency within our company as well. And so that part of it's been a real struggle because when we're involving, so it's all about billable hours on that part of our business. And so having strategists involved and even data mining and some of those different things, it's really ingrained in everyone to bill for every touch and every, for as many minutes as we can in every single day. So Maybe some type of a blend from where Drew was building in some of those costs and not, you know, essentially saying that these are included in the, the cost within and worrying less on in certain areas about tracking time and billing for every hour. Um, and again, 
understanding the value at the end when putting together a price is likely the way to, to put those together. But if you're still here with us right now, you've got Ben, Shanna, you've got Kevin, you've got Joe Manos, Andrew, you've got a team here of people with uh, probably a hundred plus years of insight. I'm going to throw uh, one to you, Ben, that I know I'm hearing a lot these days, and it came in advance of the session. So, Ben, I'll throw this to you, and then maybe, Kevin, I'd love to hear your thought as well. How are you dealing with the perfect storm? That's what the, uh, the question says here. Paper shortages, staffing difficulties, and postal delays. How are you selling through this? Ben, let's do you, and then, Kevin, I'd love to hear what you think. At Summit, we're fortunate. We're, you know, one of the things that we can we use to work through this is actually we're very financially sound as a company. And I do know I've got vendor partners who supply different things to me. And you're definitely seeing preferential treatment be giving on paper to companies who have uh, stronger cash flow as opposed to company companies who don't have strong cash flow where the paper suppliers mm -hmm. understand that. And they know that's going to be something they have to work through because they're, it is going to, it trickles down to how it impacts their cash flow when they're selling you paper. And as far as staffing, we actually have an all out assault on staffing right now ourselves. We have a team, we've done a mailing. We've got three people, I think, out reaching out to folks every day, trying to hire more people is one of our biggest challenges. So, and then of course the postal delays, you'll get mixed answers from me because I see mixed results. Some clients we've had, we just made a huge shift here in the past couple of weeks. I had some first class I was monitoring, got fantastic. I didn't really see any change here in the past week. Things have gone excellent. On the other hand, I saw some standard mail, which is supposed to not be changed. And I saw some significant delays with standard mail. So we can't, we're trying to wrap our arms around that. That's a moving target, I think, to try and identify how it's postage. But how are the how is the post office going to affect everything that we're all doing? But those are the things that, that we're doing. We're working ahead. We're planning ahead with our customers on 90-day plans for purchasing. That's another thing we're doing is where I've never ordered materials this far out in my career ever. So. Jennifer says, bam, I was going to ask this. So I'm glad, Jennifer, I was able to get that question out. Let me hear from you, Kevin. I'm going to ask you this question. The perfect storm, paper shortages, staffing difficulties, postal delays. What's going on? What are you seeing? And how are you selling through it right now? Yeah, I've, much of what Ben just mentioned, I think we're ordering paper way further out, limiting options for clients, frankly, which I'm glad to see happen anyway. If you give them 10 options, they're going to pick the first or the 10th. So giving them three options some different things so that we can build up a stronger inventory to be able to react. But the staffing has been um, a real challenge over the last 12 months, especially for some of our more our offset presses in particular, it's been, so we're continuing to make the shift uh, to more and more digital. We're shifting more, you know, looking more and more into inkjet tech at this point in order to alleviate some of the, the need for the craftsmanship and the, the real for some of our offset equipment. But then more on our software side, it is this work from home has, has changed our world. And so we have software engineers, for example, that if they're going to work from their kitchen table, they may as well make an extra 5K and, and a title bump and go with the next guy. So we spent a lot of time building our company on culture. And it's, so it's been hard with not having everyone in the office to maintain that culture and keep uh, people engaged within our organization. So that's probably our biggest challenge throughout all of this has been just keeping, keeping the boat full with, with talent. Yep. Makes sense. I see a great question here from Bob. Bob, I'm going to throw your question at Ben and then Shanna. But Ben, let me throw this question from Bob at you. How do you find clients sophisticated enough to understand the value of opti-channel marketing? Ah, ooh, that very good question. I think oftentimes that obviously the millennials, they're going to get it. 
instantly with more mature clients. I, I really don't necessarily get into the understanding of the nuts and bolts. I, the, a lot of the systems that we use, I can't work them. That's a very honest answer. <laughs> I stay focused on the results and what comes to the results and try and stay in those vertical markets that I already know so I can share that relevant content because a lot of the owners, they're like me. They don't understand. I mean, I'm going to turn 50 in a week, Dave, so I'm going to go ahead and it's tell you where it's at. Maybe 13 or 14 <laughs> to me. But you stay focused in those um, areas that you know, and you focus on selling the results. They, they don't care how it works. Most of my customers, they, it's the last thing. They don't understand the technology. They don't want to work it. They want you to do it for them, yep. take it off their back and make it work and get some results. That's what you see. Yep. Panel, if you have a response, I can see you. So raise your hand if you want to jump in there and answer that question from Bob, if you have any additional uh, insight. I'm going to move to the next question from Jeffrey. And maybe, Ben, I'll throw this back over to you as well. But Jeffrey is saying, will someone give an average sell price for a typical opti-channel campaign per record for a uh, for 1,000, 5,000, or 10,000 pieces. Ben or Shanna, you want to throw anything in? Ben's shaking his head. Shanna, what about you? I, I would just, I'm going to throw a number out for starters. But this, okay. This doesn't tell you what you're getting. If postage is going to cost 30 cents and there's small quantities, I don't have a problem saying 25 cents a record to somebody, but I'm probably going to, you're probably going to get a very different answer because there's probably going to be a setup fee associated with your campaign. And you're going to be sitting in the thousands of dollars due to your initial setup. So that's really not accounted for in any of that. And depending on what channels you're using. So I don't, I do a lot more higher volume campaigns. I'm guessing Shauna's going to have a, a little bit better answer there. So. Shauna, what um, do you say? Yeah, I mean, we do lower volume back to, I'm trying to remember which panelist said, like, I'd rather, I think it was Ben, I'd rather do less, send out less and do better pieces, get that higher return than large quantities. So we're definitely lower volume, but you have the setup costs. So the print actually ends up being the, almost the smallest piece of the, the campaign, but it all goes back to the pricing you have to look at what all the channels are you're going to use. And so if you're doing email, got your landing pages, you're doing some social media, you're doing some ads, all these things, that's going to determine the price. And this is an area that, man, it's just been over time learning where to price these campaigns. And at the end of the day, it's all about the time that it takes to, to put it together. So they're all different. And I, I mean, people ask, well, how much we're going to pay? Well, it can be anywhere from 5,000 to a hundred thousand. That's a big answer, but it just all depends on the size of their, their data, what all components are going to go in it, what parts they've done themselves, what parts we're going to do. So I know it's a tough one to answer. If anybody needs help yeah, with that, let you. us know. Uh, Mindfire team, please drop that URL uh, for folks to schedule some time to talk. I'm going to read a comment here from Kevin that I think is useful. Uh, Kevin is saying that being a printer on the east coast of Canada in Nova Scotia, web rolls are four months out. Sheet fed is not so bad. Newsprint is four months out and that it's a very challenging situation. Yep, Kevin, we hear that from a lot. We hear that from a lot of people. Larry, understand that you need to go, no problem. Jeffrey, thank you. I see Andrew's note there. Uh, Larry saying that the thing that stood out to him is having a great, having great data, having a great data partner is important. Okay, great, good. Brian says, I've never seen anyone use a head in the hole Zoom setting. I guess that's you, Drew, head in the hole there. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> But Brian, I haven't seen that either. Andrew is an original. Doug is saying what stood out to him is don't be afraid to add value and charge for it. Yep, that's absolutely true. Thank you to all of you who are here. We appreciate your time and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Have a good day, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Hey everybody, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Really quick, I just wanted to let you know, we've just opened up a texting community, which means that 
You can text me questions right now, and I'm spending anywhere between 10 to 30 minutes a day answering questions from people like you that are listening to the podcast. So I want you to stop and pull out your phone right now and text me at 949-506-5835. Or if you're listening to us right now on a podcast player, let's say on your phone, maybe you're going for a run or going on a walk, you can go to the description of this podcast right now, go click on it, and my team has put the number and a link that you can click on to make the process even easier for you to text me, okay? So look at that or write it down, 949-506-5835. And when you text me, just say, hello, Dave, it's, you know, whatever your name is, and it will add you to my phone, and then it's gonna shoot you back a message where you can add me to your phone and we can then talk from that point forward, okay? I'm gonna be giving away tips, links to live interviews, free stuff, quotes, frameworks, training links, only things that you can get through this texting platform. And also something specific for our friends in the print and agency community. You know, we come across leads all the time for print work and agency work, things that as a software company, you know, we just don't do. But I think many of you probably wanna know about those things. And we come across these leads in places that you're probably not frequenting. So if you want to be able to get those leads, I also send those through text to this community. So if that's helpful to you, pull out your phone, text me at 949-506-5835. Or like I said, if you're listening on a podcast player on your phone, you can go to the description. My team has put the number as well as a link that I think you can click and it'll make it even easier for you to text me. I can't wait to hear from you. See you later. Bye-bye.